23 of Thelma and Tom Look Left. And yes, here we are again, and it's been uh, another busy week and so much to talk about. So we're going to do our best to cover a bit of it. And then in the second part of the uh, podcast, we've got a lovely guest coming too. So hi, Thelma, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Tom. Yeah, you, yourself, if you had a busy Lovely week. Lovely to see you again, as always. And um, yeah, I look forward to these podcasts, Thelma. And it's, I, I always... Uh, I always enjoy listening to your take on things because it's I've never really known a politician uh personally before. I, I and I hardly I hardly like to call you a politician really because you're not a typical politician, are you really? Oh, that's the that's the nicest compliment, I think, especially at the moment. <laughs> well, I don't think I'll ever stop being a teacher, really. I mean, obviously I was only in Parliament two and a half years. I mean, I have been involved in politics for many years as an activist. Um, but I, I never really consider myself um, a politician. Um, I, you know, I'm obviously very active and, and, and very sincere about politics and wanting to change society for the better, um, as you know, Tom. Um, but I never really consider myself a politician. It's just, I suppose, what comes from the heart. And I'll always, after 34 years in as a teacher and head teacher, I think I'll always... My default position is always I'm a teacher at heart, you know. Um, but I think it's just been a, all, as all of us, I, I believe, um, on the left, a, a, a just wanting a fairer society, as I say, and and um, and wanting to 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 work together in a positive way. That's what I want to happen, and I tried that while I was in Parliament. But but yeah, especially with what's happening at the moment um, in the political world, I think you couldn't give me a finer compliment. <laughs> I think I think you're doing a great job Thelma I don't want to um you know be too kind of hand out praise too lightly but it's refreshing and, and it's, it made me actually just this little conversation made me think about Jeremy really because he doesn't come across as a politician does he really and and I would say that's you know probably a big part of why he came unstuck was well it, it's also a big part of why he's so popular uh, so it cuts yeah. both ways, really. Yeah, he's been doing some wonderful stuff, hasn't he, with the uh, Peace and Justice Project um, up in Glasgow. Um, I was just watching him visiting a um, cooperative there. Uh, I think it was just yesterday. And he just looks so happy um, because he's doing what he believes in. And he's, he's very consistent, you know. Um, but, he, you know, he is a very experienced politician as well um and uh but not as you say not your typical i think it's really harsh though on the people who are still in westminster who i know that are really good people there are some still there and i think it's a real shame i used to get upset when i was there when you were being accused of having your noses in the trough and all that i used to get you know mm -hmm. and um it, it's it, it's really hurtful um when you know you're trying your damnedest and um and i know many Many politicians do um, give to lots of charities and good causes, and um, and don't keep all the salary, and don't you know don't have second jobs, which I know we'll come on to later. But um, I, I just think it's really harsh on on those politicians that are sincere and working so hard. Um, but uh, but no, I, I'll always be a teacher, Tom. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I don't like I, I, when I was a kid. I I didn't like teachers, Thelma, but. You're okay. <laughs> well, I 
to be honest, I think sometimes I had a bit of a hard time in primary school because um, we'd moved areas from Manchester into Stockport and Cheshire, and it was a very different area. And um, and I came from you know real working class background, and um, and this was a bit of a posher area, and um, I told, you know the the culture and the ethos of my primary school was was pretty awful. It certainly wasn't inclusive, and um, I think actually that was part of what shaped me as a young child, um, and and I suppose um, fed my philosophy as um, as a teacher because I just. Uh, I remembered how it felt. I always remember a, a teacher saying to me when we just moved from Manchester, um, or you know, shortly after I'd started school, I was only in the infants, and we had to stand up and say what we'd done over the weekend. And I'd said something like, "Oh, we watched some telly on Sunday," and she said, "We don't say telly here." <laughs> We say television. And, just, you know, I was only four or five. I started school quite early and I was only four or five. Yeah. And it stayed with me. That can um, have a huge effect, something that like that. Put down, that put down of you're not from here mm. um, and and you obviously have got a working class background mm. and, and you're somewhere different now that's better. And it, it kind of stayed with me. And I think that kind of thing does shape you, doesn't it? Um, and, and so always when I was a, te- you know, a teacher and, and a, running a school, it was always that you know, the kid that came scrambling in late to assembly or late to school, I was always, oh, come in, sit yourself down, welcome, because you just don't know what kids are experiencing, you know? And I I sometimes think there's some people in education who don't quite get that because they've not maybe had that experience. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we've got a lot to talk about, but one of the things things that we do um, for this podcast is, before the podcast itself, we have a little meeting uh, uh, to discuss what we're going to talk about in the podcast. And quite often our meetings are, I always think, well, God, it's a pity that's not the podcast, really. And we, we had quite a good discussion about um, education and the importance. Of, and, and we really do want to do a whole podcast on that subject. Uh, I'm really interested in how how you can bring about a conscious change in society for the, a conscious change for the better in society mm-hmm. uh, i do believe that that can be done and that's kind of why i'm a socialist because i i believe it's possible i don't think this is a fixed thing um but that discussion we're going to have aren't we thelma uh hopefully in the new year Oh, yeah, I think that would be really good. And I think we've got one or two really good people, guests, lined up to give some input into that. Um, so I'm, I am looking forward to that in the new year. Yeah, we're, we're off what we said we'd talk about already, aren't we? Indeed we are. I'm just going to say it's one last thing about it, though. But when you mentioned that story about the, the little kid coming in late and your response to it, uh, you know, that that just kind of sums up the the different how how different the world can be it can be like that or it can be like the put down you know and which is the more more healthy when it comes to creating a a useful person you know anyway okay Thelma I, I I hold my hand up we've strayed off the thing um COP26 <laughs> now then COP26 mm. I've I've so many thoughts about COP26 but I'll let you have a go first Thelma and see what 
Yeah, uh, well, the, the stark thing for me was when uh, Greta Thunberg pointed out that there were more delegates from the fossil fuel industries than any other. Um, and I just thought, well, that, that just stood out as what is what is this COP26 about um, when you've got people with vested interests uh, like that attending and more of them than anybody else? Um, and you know she's such a brave young woman, isn't she? That you know she then she then called it out as a greenwash, um, a greenwash festival. She called it, um, and I I believe she's right, really, because you can see where we're being steered. There's loads of discussions on electric vehicles, which yeah, in their own right, you know we we all need to be looking uh, to using them in the future wherever we can. Um, but there's so much more that needs to be discussed, isn't there, um, about the global south, um, about, about well, in our own country, the infrastructure, public transport, uh, cost of it, you know, connectivity, all of that, cycling. I, I don't seem to be picking up enough discussion about that. It's almost like we're being steered in a certain way um uh, with 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 the discussions that are taking place there um and uh yeah i i was also picking up that nearly 300 flights a day taken by government staff since johnson's been prime minister and that was to the end of uh, over a year there were 107,000 domestic flights up to march last year that's internal flights i mean for most people, if you've got any interest at all in what's happening with the climate emergency, your go-to for internal travel is, is your train, isn't it? <laughs> um, I would have thought. And, and yet, what kind of poor role modelling is that? It's absolutely outrageous. So, I, I, I you know, it's kind of... Um, I don't believe your words because I see what you do kind of thing. Um, yeah. That that That's how I'm feeling about it. And I hate to be overly negative because I do think there are seemingly some positive outcomes. Um, but I I just think that, that it's just words at the moment and, um, and you know, they'll suffragette. It's it's deeds, not words, isn't it? Well, um, we'll see what happens. I don't know what your thoughts are, Tom. Yeah, I'm very much with you on that. And I, f I do feel like there's, there's two things going on, really. I, I can see the difficulty. Like, you know, it's a massive task. And, uh, you know, I, there's this kind of feeling like, there's kind of almost a why should I feeling from a lot of the politicians. Like, what's the point of us doing this when they're not going to do it? And, and, mm. and uh, I mean, we could have that in our own lives. What's the point in me recycling when my neighbour's not? Or what's the point in me taking the train when they're taking the plane and, and so on? But at some point, I just feel like, look, why don't we do this? Instead of having all these kind of what ifs and excuses, why don't we just say... We're going to make our country right. We're not going to pump a load of sewer into the rivers. We're not going to just fly around willy nilly. We're going to we're going to do what needs to be done here. And regardless of what everybody else does, we're going to do it right. And and hopefully we from that we could inspire other countries and other people to have a mm. go. Instead yeah. of which, what do we do? You know, we just kind of. It's all just words and photo opportunities and 
Yeah, it is. And it's kind of, you know, what we're facing now is a result of greed and capitalism. And it seems to me it's the capitalists that are steering the conversation um, at, at COP26. And again, I'm sorry to be over the negative because I know everybody that's attending doesn't, isn't like that and doesn't believe that. But I, I honestly do, unless we face the fact that we, we have to change society completely and the way our uh, global and, and national economy works, um, then, then we, we won't achieve any of these targets. And it is, I always say it's just linked to greed. And, um, I, you know, I think unless we're looking at a wealth tax, um, which would that funding would help to invest green skills, jobs, green economy, you know, we, we, we're not going to bring about the change in, in enough time, you know. Um, and I feel it's just the wrong people leading the way on this. Um, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, last time we spoke about people like uh, Greta not not having a, a speech on that main platform on the first day. I mean, I know we've seen a lot of her on our screens, but um, and heard a lot from her. But it's it's been on the it's been almost like the fringe event, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and and as a young woman, you know, with her the power of 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 her position, she should have been centre stage there. Yeah. I, yeah totally. I think. I think one of the problems we've got, Thelma, is that the people in charge have got such a vested interest mm. in keeping things as they are. And so they're trying to get to this point where they kind of sort of accept we need to get to, but they want to get to it without losing any of their power or wealth. You know, mm. like, I mean, Prince Charles is a classic, really. Yeah. He owns half of well, not, mm. I don't want to exaggerate too much, but he owns huge tracts of Devon and Cornwall. Mm. Loads of the farm, for example, loads of the farmers pay him rent. Quite a lot of them happily because they're they, you know, they're loyal subjects and so on. But the fact is that he is massively, massively wealthy, and he's creaming off this money from all this land that he owns that he could use to improve things. You know, if those farmers didn't have to pay that rent, they could compete with farmers that own their farms outright. They could then farm in a less intensive way. They could, yeah. uh, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, the, the whole system is strangled by capitalism. Is, is exactly, yeah. You're exactly right when you say that. And But they're yeah. not going to let it go, are they? Uh, no, I, I just find somebody like... <sighs> Yeah, Prince Charles with, you know, multiple homes, servants who all will be accommodated in, in different housing and flats, all using energy, waiting on him and his family. And I, I just think you've got to walk the talk. You can't just tell people, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It, it, it's actually leading your own life. And I'm not saying I'm perfect either. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've, try and change um, my uh, lifestyle um, in terms of, you know, recycling. Uh, we've now got one car. We, we aim to have an electric car in the future. Um, you know, just fewer flights or take the train wherever possible. 
you know, so yeah, we're, we're adapting, but it's this, it's also this about individuals, you're responsible for this. Well, really, we can all make a difference and and, and individuals can make a, a small difference, but it's actually, it's the big guns, isn't it, that, yeah. that need, yeah. need to, you know, we, we need to look at where our pensions are invested, um, you know that that there is there there is an investment in fossil fuel industries with our pensions. It's all all of those things. What that the banks are doing, um, you know, and and their investments. So it's it, it there's an there's an awful lot that that could be done um, by individuals, but it's about as I say, it's about the people who are uh, leading our economy and uh, and I have to say the royal family. It's all right. Again, it's this deeds, not words, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel, I mean, I know it's difficult. It's like, it's, we've talked about this too before, you know, like people call sometimes call me a champagne socialist. And, and, and I think, what am I supposed to do? You know, it's difficult, isn't it? You give away everything. And I'm sure Charles feels that, but, you know, he's got all this property, he's got all this wealth. Um, you know, why, why doesn't he use it for something, really for the good, you know? Yeah, um, I think so. It's um, yeah, and then and then of course you you have Boris Johnson flying by private jet to actually get to to. I mean, you you couldn't make it. Oh, could you? It's kind of it's like unbelievable insensitivity, um, and the messaging there um, is 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 dreadful. You know, it has been centre stage. It's been all over the news and the discussions about the issues. But it's what happens now. It's like anything, isn't it, with the it, it, these big events that um, lots of things are promised, things are agreed, but then I worry that people are just going to go away again and it's all going to continue the same. But it can't, can it? It can't no, because no. our planet is dying. That's and right. Nature, I heard someone Mother say. Mother Nature is telling us, isn't she? Mother Nature is saying, you know, um, you're destroying um, the planet. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's it's critical. It's really yeah. critical. Yeah, we've got to change our behaviour. Uh, I mean, really, we couldn't, in some ways, we couldn't have a worse bloke in charge of our country at the moment. Uh, you know, he, he seems totally oblivious to... Uh, I don't know how he behaves is astonishing, really. And, uh, uh, you know, I could see him well, as COP26 was starting up and I was thinking he's going to try and be Churchill and save the world here and make yeah. all these great speeches and everybody's going to go, yes, Boris, you're right, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I think the reality hit him pretty hard. And, you, you know, then there was a picture of him half asleep on the front seat there and and he just looked a bit pathetic, really. And um, I... I mean, it's going to take more than Boris Johnson to sort this out, and uh, he probably has realised that now. But, you know, oh, dear. Makes me angry, Thelma. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I always come back to, you know, my belief in the younger generation that are coming through, um, and it's their future. And I think many of them are feeling very uh, anxious and angry uh, about what is happening uh, to the planet and um, the injustice of it, and they know it, change is needed. And yeah. Um, yeah. and I think many of many of them, well, they have a vote, don't they? Um, yes, they, indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, very soon. I wish we had votes at sixteen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but they will soon be voting, and I think that's when we'll see the change. And I just hope I live long enough to see that change that needs to 
um, needs to be brought about. But I do still have faith in that. I, I think I think um, there's a good chance that certainly you and hopefully me as well will we'll see something happen. I, I'm I'm quite quietly confident on on that front because uh, you know this other thing that's been going on with uh, um, the second jobs for MPs and all the kind oh. of um, mm. sleaze in Westminster and all of that it's getting short shrift really from the even from the right-wing media now, they're, they're kind of almost seeing the writing on the wall there and realising that people have had enough of it. Whereas I, I, I don't think Boris had quite realised, I don't like calling him that, I don't think Johnson had quite realised that, you know, people have realised that he's taking the piss a bit, and uh, a bit, a lot, and he just thought he could get away with it forever. And I think it's become apparent in over the last week or two that's not in fact the case he's either got to change his act and up his game massively which i don't think he's capable of or he's going to be replaced uh and that's people are openly talking about it aren't they in the right wing press too yeah you can see the sharks are circling can't you um from lots of <laughs> directions they're coming in at the moment and it's those that are the quietest that are on his front bench that you need to watch um because <laughs> because they're they're waiting um and I, I i think he's trying deflections at the moment isn't he um with not just the owen patterson case but uh, now we have uh jeffrey cox uh, the stuff been leaked about him and his um offshore work um in the caribbean um oh dear me honestly unbelievable um I, you wonder whether that's been leaked to, to deflect from uh johnson's oh god i never thought of that personal <laughs> i don't know i can't i don't know that i'm just thinking how it works usually um that um leaked at an appropriate timing so that we're not talking about what johnson's been up to um and uh yeah i think the public are uh, sick and tired of it. I think there's some in Labour that need to be careful of people in glass houses and all that in terms of the second jobs when you think that, you know, the kind of type of work, it depends on how you classify second jobs, doesn't it? But I know when, and maybe I was new to the game and it took me longer to kind of get into it all. Um, but uh, certainly with what I was doing in Parliament um, and travelling from down to Westminster from the north, you know, there and back every week, doing the jobs I was doing and doing constituency stuff when I did get back up north. Um, the thought of having time to write books and uh, stuff and write for newspapers, i maybe it's me, but I, I would have found that incredibly difficult. Um, so I obviously the Tories are the worst, but I, I do think Labour needs to be careful, as I say about you know that idea about people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Um, but we'll we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, there is the argument, of course, that if somebody's a doctor or a nurse, but I, to be frank, you know, I could say, well, a teacher, I could have carried on. To, there's absolutely no way I could have carried on doing any teaching whilst I was down in Parliament and being an effective, um, functioning um, MP for my constituents, um, absolutely no way. So I, I don't even really, if I'm honest, agree with people who are um, doctors, even though it's obviously you know amazing profession and and so much needed. Um, <clears throat> I, I 
feel quite strongly that you decide to go into politics and you decide to represent, you're elected to represent your constituents. And that should be first and foremost what you do. And the very best MPs in Parliament, um, you know, and you know who I'm talking about, work their absolute socks off for their constituents and uh, in the Chamber and in Westminster. And if you're doing that effectively, I'm, perhaps I'm a bit hardline on this, but I, I don't think you should be doing all these extra things. I really don't, unless it's to benefit your constituents. Yeah, I know. I know when I, well, I, I, I'm sure it's okay to mention when we had John on, John McDonnell on, and you could see he was actually tired. He, he, he'd been running around and doing all the constituency stuff. He's got a really busy scene going on down there, and and he was knackered, you know. And it was uh, there was yeah. no question he was he was working like crazy to try and keep the absolute living. yeah absolute dedication to constituents. Um, there and there's a number of them um, but I've said before John and Jeremy are the two of the hardest working people I've ever and that includes in education as well I've ever known um, absolute dedication and this is why I think it's so sad when all politicians are smeared um, and it's so unfair on a number of them who never stop working um, for um, their constituents um, and, and to do an effective job in Westminster representing them. And, and I think that is a sad thing. That is a sad thing. But, um, but yeah, all credit to those that are, are true to themselves and to their constituents, I think. OK, there you are. We've covered COP26 and we've covered the second job situation with, with, for the MPs. Uh, you know, me and Thelma, we could probably go on talking about this, but... Uh, there is a uh, there's a thing about podcasts that I'm just going to say that if they go over an hour, less people listen to them because people have got a psychological thing about oh, I can manage fifty minutes, I can manage fifty five. <laughs> so we we do we do try to keep it under an hour, not always successfully, but we'll see. Anyway, that's the end of part one. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back shortly. Tom uh, look left we're back for the second part of the podcast and our guest this week is Maya Thomas now I first heard of Maya in our local newspaper and uh, I gotta admit I was a bit surprised because I live uh, in rural Devon and it's just not the kind of thing that tends to uh, get into the paper around here I think uh, Maya you were the person that first set up the um, uh, Black Lives Matter in, in Exeter uh, and lots more has happened to you since then, Maya. I'd just perhaps you'd just like to go through a few things what you what you get up to in your life. Yeah, so I'm Maya Thomas. I'm 22. I'm an equality, diversity, and inclusion consultant. I'm currently working with around 125 schools across the UK, Devon County Council, various businesses and firms as well. Um, I worked for Jeremy Corbyn's Peace and Justice Project as the head of economic security. So that was mobilising supporters in mental health, job loss and food banks to address world issues. So I focus my work around education and just helping people in society achieve the best that they can. Wow. <laughs> 
That is just, hi Maya, um, we, we've met over Zoom in the past, haven't we, through the Peace and Justice Project, and uh, I, I just can't believe at 22 you've already achieved as much as you've achieved. It's, I'm just in awe of you. Um, we're also delighted that you've joined us, because apart from Ash Sarker and Owen Jones, I think you're the, our youngest guest so far, so <laughs> you're managing to bring the age profile down <laughs> of the guests that we've talked to. Uh, but it's wonderful to have, uh, you know, somebody so, well, passionate and committed um, to, to doing what you're doing, and as a former teacher, to think that you're having that input in, what, what did you say, 125 schools? Yeah. Oh, that is that is amazing, and and what an amazing role model you are too. Um, c- can I just ask you about the Peace and Justice Project? So you you're no longer with them, um, yeah. But um, but what, what you know? What was your experience um, with that project? Yeah, it was really good. So the Peace and Justice Project is basically to bring people together for social and economic justice, peace and human rights across the world. So my section was focusing on like the economic side, so job loss, mental health and food banks. And that's something that I've always been really passionate about. So I was able to continue my own projects, but also everlay and rise projects that are happening in other areas so it was really good to have Jeremy's support behind all these projects and see that he actually wants to make a direct difference to people's lives on the ground and activists really felt that it could elevate their work because they had support behind them we could go and ask questions we could get volunteers we could mobilize the people that sometimes it is a struggle to do alone so it was really good to have the support of someone like Jeremy and just see that there's a project that is focused around the people and not for profit yeah yeah amazing amazing but alongside of all that you you founded the Black Lives Matter um in Devon and Exeter and um how did that come about? Why you? Why you, you know, and not somebody else? Yeah, I think for me, it was really important, important because I've been speaking out against racism since I moved to Devon. I was the only black person in my school until my brother joined. So it was just us in every school or just me. And that was really difficult. I went through a lot of experiences, like having food thrown at me by younger children saying, feed the African, feed the slave, etc. And the teachers never dealt with the racism that was at hand. I was told that my hair was messy. It would stop me from getting jobs. It was distracting people in the classroom. And I had opportunities blocked from just being myself. So after George Floyd, it kind of felt like the nation was listening to our experiences. And I wasn't just speaking against the same brick wall that I had been for many years. So I thought, let's actually educate people on what it's like, especially in a rural area growing up as a black woman, because that is different to in the city. A lot of people here don't think that racism did exist. They would deny our experiences or they'd say, oh, I I just wasn't aware or they weren't aware of the part they were playing in that. Even just subtle racism here, people didn't realise that it was a problem. So I just wanted to create a space where black and other ethnic minorities were able to have that platform where their voice could be elevated and people could just hear their truth and about what it is like. So I think I've kind of felt that it was my role, especially as I have been speaking up here for a very long time. It felt like I can't miss this opportunity. And there's a lot of people who want to speak out, but they don't feel strong enough. But I've got to the place where I'm comfortable or I've dealt with some really tough emotions. that I am able to speak about it. So I just wanted to give up people the opportunity to do so as well. Mm. 
I think I think that's uh, yeah. I mean, I mentioned before the passion that comes through, and it's that idea um, of your own experiences and and having having lived through that that you've got that that understanding. Um, and that message is so important. I mean, I'm in a kind of semi-rural area here and uh, there's a small group just forming now called Inclusive Cone Valley um, that are trying, are trying to get that messaging out, you know, in our small villages and in the rural schools as well. Um, I just admire what you're doing so much. Um, you know, the um, Colston, it's now over a year since that happened, the Colston statue and direct action. Um the the statue going in in the river in Bristol um it took a lot of uh, there was a lot of criticism wasn't there on the mainstream media of, of that even coming from the leader of the opposition as well you know um what are your thoughts on direct action I think you have to realize that once that happened that's when people really woke up and saw that people aren't going to take this racism anymore and it's built up anger and built up frustration over years and years and years people had spoke about wanting that statue to be removed but nothing happened it's a constant battle but i do believe for me especially education is the way forward because just because you take a statue down whether it's done in a good way or a bad way it doesn't educate people on what the root of the problem is so for me rather than pulling down statues I want to get people into schools speaking about this get people into businesses and go down the educational route so that people understand where the frustration comes from and what needs to change Mm. yeah absolutely Tom I I very much felt like the politicians over the last 10 years have, have let things slip back really badly on this front and um uh uh it really upsets me what's happened but i do kind of feel like now especially since george floyd and and like you say with black lives matter that the people have picked up the button in a way and uh and are doing what the politicians should be doing um and it's almost it's good. I think it's really good in a way because it's embarrassed the politicians, really, that, that when they make their crass remarks, the the people such as yourself and, and actually the, the footballers who I really admire for the taking the knee at the Premier League matches and even at Plymouth Argyle take the knee. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, but that 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 makes me feel really good. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know if of- you feel the change. At all. I definitely do feel the change, but you just know that there's a long way to go. I think that true change will take a really, really long period of time. But as an activist, you're okay with it taking a long period of time. And you know that sometimes there'll be a lot of change and then it will stop for a while because people aren't talking about it. But our job is to keep that conversation going. But it is great seeing footballers and people taking the knee just to show as a community across the world, wherever we are, whoever we are, we are against racism and discrimination. Mm. I think it. I think it's really important that, yeah, that it's small steps, but we're still in this situation, aren't we, where, you know, is, is there a need for Black History Month? You know, it, Yes, there is. Um, but when do we get to a stage where there won't be a need for that because the curriculum will be decolonized and there will be rep- true representation? Um, and I think this idea of um, institutional 
uh, racism and some of the groups I've worked with in our local area looking at that um, structural racism uh, in education and staffing and representation and with the uh, police force as well and recruitment uh, and retention um, so, so it's all of that and of course you'll know about what's happening with the Yorkshire mm-hmm. County Cricket at the moment which is just so shameful isn't it I don't know what your thoughts on what what's happened there yeah I think it's difficult constantly hearing the excuse oh it was from 10 years ago or oh it was five years ago I didn't realize that it was offensive that's not an excuse that people can continue to use and get away with it I think it doesn't matter when it was said you should know especially in that position that you're in that it isn't okay and when people come to you with an issue regarding racism and discrimination they shouldn't feel afraid to do so so I think it is really difficult to still hear that this is going on and that some people using the argument that now people becoming woke yeah that's the only reason that it's an issue when really we all know deep down that that has always been an issue and the woke argument is just non-existent well, there was an interesting regional interview um, on uh, Look North in our area uh, just last night, the night before, where there were cricketers, Yorkshire cricketers, who'd played 30 odd years ago. And they were interviewed and were saying, we can't believe that we're still in this situation. They were taking these racist taunts like 30 years ago and, and it's happening now. But I, th- I actually do think that Azim Rafiq has been so brave and now other players are coming forward. And it, it, it's like yourself, it, you know, you get one person to say, this is the reality of what's happening. You need one brave person and then you do find it opens up bit like the me too thing wasn't it you know one brave person and then others will follow um uh, but I think you know it's so shameful what's happened um with the Yorkshire County cricket really um and has exposed an awful lot of things um uh, across the board um I agree really uh but it's it's your question is will it will it change anything how is it gonna you know actually change Yeah, that's why I think education is so powerful, letting people know why it's not okay to say that, what the root of the issue is, how it would make someone feel. So basically restorative measures, rather than just cancelling the person that does it, they still need to be educated on why. So if they lose their job, there still needs to be some education in that process because they could just get a job somewhere else and repeat the same action or a similar action because they haven't realised the true harm of what they've done. Yeah, and and it's like teachers' training as well, isn't it? You know, it's kind of getting in there and talking to the pupils. It's the curriculum that's being delivered. It's not one thing, is it? (laughs) It is a lot of work. Like in schools, I'm doing work with staff training, so on language, restorative practice, but then also work on decolonising the curriculum. I'm working with an academy trust where I've worked on their curriculum this year, and then from January they'll be implementing it, and it's got Black, Asian and other history across their humanity subjects. So we won't have to have it as, oh, it's just Black History Month, so let's make sure we do something for this period. It's embed into everything that they teach all the time so that pupils can see representation across all areas yeah I think the NEU have got some good materials as well um, yeah. that theme um so so that's getting embedded so let's hope that school leaders 
and local authorities uh, certainly know that Kirklees are, are really good on this. Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll embrace that and. Uh, and uh, yeah, just fantastic that you're in so many schools and, and so many so many young people will you know be able to hear what you've got to say and hopefully be influenced in the right direction. Thank you, Mike. Can you talk to us a bit about Black Lives Matter? What is Black Lives Matter? Is it is it just just uh, um, I mean, obviously Black Lives Matter. I get that, but is it an organisation or is it just a slogan or what? Is it? I think for different people it means different things. So to me, what it means to me is saying that my life does matter like yours does. I should be able to have the same opportunities that you do. I shouldn't fear to walk home where I live. I shouldn't fear for the lives of my families in certain situations. And I should be entitled to the same educational and just life opportunities as anyone else. So for me, I take out that part of it and that's what leads me to education. But some people are more focused on just using a phrase, for example, or just focusing on the organisation. But for me, that's what I take out of it. But I feel it resonates with people in different areas, depending on their life experiences. But for me, that's what I'd say that it means to me. But it was just having that slogan and having so much traction around this idea and ideology is what really pushes it forward. It's got something that people can link back to. So it's like, as soon as you hear Black Lives Matter now, you know about the movement and you know it is a movement towards change. So I feel whatever it is, you do need a slogan for something to be continuously talked about. There is something it needs to link back to each time. So it's not a, it's, it, it's not, I mean, it's a brilliant thing and it, and it does, it touches your heart, doesn't it? It's, it seems utterly ridiculous that, how can anybody think black lives don't matter? You know, that is it's sickening to even think of the opposite. But is it's not an, an organisation as such. I mean, there is not, there is like an organisation or a group, but it's branched out into something that is a lot more than any organisation. It's something that resonates with people across the world when they hear it. It makes people want to speak up about their experiences and just challenge society. So I feel it is a lot more than just, an organization do you have like a network um Maya you know yeah. do you have people so to kind of share ideas and yeah so I've got a network with a lot of different activists so across the UK and also internationally um where we speak in whatsapp groups and facebook groups about what we're doing like new campaign ideas what's worked well in schools or what new areas we can move into so it's good to have a network across the globe knowing that there's people in each area it makes you feel like you're not fighting a battle alone especially mm -hmm. for me being in a rural area sometimes it does feel like the work falls back on me because if I don't say something for a while people say but what about what happened to Black Lives Matter what happened to my yeah. speaking about this it feels like a lot of it does come back to you but when you've got a network like that that's what really helps you keep going, especially when you go through something that might be difficult or some negativity towards the campaign in the area you're in. Having the support from that network really helps you continue and stay focused on the end goal. Yeah, because there was a lot of, you know, the people on the right trying to say whether well, a bunch of Marxists, you know, as if that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that started, didn't it? You know, it's kind of, uh, it's always a way, isn't it, when something's really cutting through that the right don't like. 
um, that then it's that they throw yeah. something like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I even saw it in Parliament from from the Tories where they'd they'd throw something out like you, you know, you oh you're a Benite. You know, I think yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why when people say to me, like, what does it mean to you? I just speak about my experiences, finding my voice and then wanting to transform education to make society better. That's what it means to me. It might not mean the same to the next person. Even someone that's the same race as me might have a different idea. But that's the message that I want to promote. Yeah. Just 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 on that point, what what are your thoughts on what Marcus Rashford's doing? Oh, I think, yeah, Marcus and Idol just incredible yeah <laughs> there's not yeah there's literally no words everything yeah. like I've done especially with all the food work as well that's what I'm doing and there's that's great for people to have a positive role model and even seeing the backlash that he gets for everything that he does you can still see look at this person who continues to uh. want to give back despite everything you go through and despite all the negativity you get in the press you still want to help people whose parents might be saying negative things about you and that's what it's really about like I'm really about giving back and just wanting to transform society so it's great seeing someone so young as well actually doing yeah. so much uh, it's that well a bit like yourself really but he, he, you can see that inner strength with him yeah um that he's got even for such a young person he's got a kind of gravitas about him hasn't he you know yeah. that I'm impressed by that kind of I'm rising above all this rubbish um I'm not listening to this because my core yeah. purpose is to make children living in deprived areas lives better uh, you know and it and it's just he's just got that vision and he's just so steadfast and so respectful of other people. Um, just an inspiration, really, isn't he? Yeah, because a lot of people say, oh, people speaking out against racism or it's for attention and they're saying, oh, poor me. But when you're actually giving back and wanting to make change and showing that resilience, that's so good to see. And I love seeing that. And that's what I always say to pupils in the school when I tell my story or when someone ask me about something that's happened to me it's not for them to apologize it's actually just to inspire them and show them no matter what happens to you you can still progress and you can still reach these positions no matter what limitations other people put on you yeah brilliant brilliant have you actually met him no no I'd love to I haven't (laughs) yeah one day fingers crossed Granny Mott used to live on the Withershore estate, you know, where he comes from. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, well, I wonder if I DM'd him and said, my granny yeah. Mott used to live on the Withershore estate. He might, he might say to me, I'd love to meet him, I really would. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so, so when you go into schools, Maya, yeah. uh, do you, is that literally what you do? You go and talk to the kids in the class? Yeah, so I either do teacher, like staff training or training with the heads or workshops and teaching with the children. Yeah. So a mixture of different things. It just depends on what the focus is. With a lot of schools, we've actually got a strategy. So sometimes I start by doing an audit and then we work on a long term strategy where I've worked with the school for like six months to a year time period. So it's not just a one off visit because I hate going in and just delivering that one assembly and it's become a tick box exercise to say, right, that's it. Now we've complete diversity yeah. and inclusion. That's it. So I work on schools with policies and long term strategies. So it's almost like more than one visit. It's never just that one assembly. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's really important because you do 
you do sometimes get schools where it is a tick box yeah. exercise you feel don't you with not just I don't just mean this this issue but, yeah, but anything, yeah. too, you know environment tick you know yeah. arts you know it's kind of um so you want it's having that commitment isn't it and, yeah. and sincerity about it which I'm sure most schools definitely do do have um uh, gosh the time's flown but I, I want to ask you I'm hearing that you started your own podcast yes yeah I started a podcast with Radio Devon just on equality diversity and inclusion so I think we think it will be a three or four series part one's already been out and that was on just equality diversity and inclusion the need for change my experiences and the importance of language then the next one is on EDI and the workplace and um, workplace commitments the importance of being actively anti-racist then we're looking at equality diversity and inclusion in education as well uh, sounds I must try and uh, must try and listen into that um, I, I, I tried to find that and couldn't ha- uh the, oh, I'll send you. It's it was on um, BBC Sounds afterwards, oh, but I get oh. sent um, a list of what dates it will be on. So then I normally just publicise it on social media, saying this week it will yeah, play. I, I, you, I, I don't know, but us us old folks struggle a bit with social media. <laughs> I, I, I've got the sound bites if you want them from the first one. <laughs> I'm okay with with the old style social media, but then I I ended up the link on. Uh, for you took me to um some other social media thing that i couldn't handle uh, which was basically like loads of pictures um so oh. you need to basically make a kind of uh make it available somehow that old yeah. old folks can act- they do all of that stuff i i just say what i have to say and then they edit it and put it on a platform okay but okay i'm try a bit harder no, no, I'm hopefully finalising my website soon and then I'm going to put them all on there because I'm oh. creating that at the moment and then I'll just put them there so people can click it easier than tuning in each time. Yeah, that would be good. They sound really interesting. I my, my, I did hope to listen before the podcast, but it's, it's no odds. We've we've uh, got plenty to talk about and it's been been absolutely great. Um, So you, did you, you actually grew up in Devon from when you were quite a young kid? Yeah, um, a ten or eleven. Yeah. Whereabouts were you, Maya? Um, I've lived in Budley, Limston, Exmouth, near Broadcliffe, Exeter. Oh. Like quite, we've moved quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, because not, like, really there were cool. in the seaside towns, there are a lot of negative experiences and a lot of experiences of racism. But then when we moved more towards Exeter, it got better. So that's why we've settled around this area now. Okay. And do, do you still live in Exeter? Do you? Yeah, I live um, like 50 minutes from the city centre, like near Killerton House. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't know if I can, I don't even quite know how to ask you. So when you're growing up and you're a little kid and you're black, mm-hmm. and were you like the only kid in the class? You, did, you, were, you yeah. said you were actually the only kid in the school, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And, and did, so did you kind of... What does that feel like? I mean, I know you said all those horrible things happened to you, but like, are you constantly aware that you you were different? Uh, I I don't know how to say this. I grew up in the country, Maya, and I never ever met a black person when I was yeah. till I was grown up, mm-hmm. and uh, and because of that, I'm really overly conscious even now, and I'm in my seventies. And I've got black friends and that, but I can't ever, I'm always like 
they're black and I'm white. And it's, uh, it's shit, really. I don't want it to be like that, but it's just ingrained in me. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you pick that up as well. Yeah, I think in terms of noticing it, especially because I was from London, so I did know the difference. Because when I was in London, I didn't feel like a minority because it was extremely mixed. And then I came in, then I realised I was the only one. And then I was met, constantly reminded by teachers who would say, oh, when I have my Afro, your hair's not appropriate for school. Even if I tied it up, you're distracting pupils. It's messy. On the coast school, that happened, didn't it? Yeah. Um where some of the, they drew attention to the Afro hairstyle. So I was constantly reminded, even if I tried to not focus on that, I was reminded by the teachers that I was different every day for going in as my natural self. But my other friends who were white could change their hairstyle whenever they wanted. But I'm having it as what it is naturally. And that was a problem. So that was quite difficult to be reminded every day when you're just trying to learn. So it wasn't even mm. wanting to... I didn't want to be singled out. I didn't want to be reminded of it every day. And I was happy to just get on as a child, but I wasn't able to do that. And then in terms of language, I think because it's ever evolving, a lot of people do have the fear of making mistakes. But I always say to people, just ask. Like if, like you said at the start, how would you like me to refer to you as? That That's a lot easier than someone making the mistake. Like I always want people to feel like with me, they have a safe space to actually ask the questions. But I understand that, people don't always feel that they can, but then it actually stops them from interacting with lots of different people because they're of that fear of making mistakes. Yeah. I've got a friend, uh, I, I work a market stall in uh, Tottenham, and I've got a friend there who's from Gambia and yeah. uh, he sells uh, drums and stuff. And, um, it, it's uh, it, we've had some really a couple of really good conversations about you know how how it is for him you know he goes home and he's actually some real high ranking guy in Gambia like a head of a, a chief of a tribe or something and they, they he was explaining to me how they all how their political systems work and and then he comes over here and he works the market and he's like this one black guy in our market and well there's an Indian guy as well actually. Uh, but it's really, you know, you you hear people just, there's no kind of really overt racism so much now that there used to be perhaps, but it's it's kind of there. People will make comments about his drums and, oh, we're in the jungle and all this crap. And and it's it's hurtful, really. But, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say, really, except I, I sometimes feel like we should apologise. Mm. But it, I think it's just reflective of, of the sad situation that we've got in in our communities. And, and I think, you know, getting back to the politics, I think when we've got a government that we've got at the moment and their attitudes and that kind of, uh, well, overtly racist um, prime minister that we've got, the, the things that he's come out with, um, it almost gives a license to some people to say these appalling things. And I think that's the battle we've got as well in terms of politics, um, I would say. Um, but but wow, wow, mate, you know, what you've done by 22, because didn't you only graduate last year? Yeah, yeah. 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 So you've done all that as well. Yeah. Um, so you graduated. You've worked for the Peace and Justice. You've got, you're doing your diversity and inclusion and equality in all these schools and you, yeah. you know, the podcast and all the rest of it. And so if you've done this by 22, 
my goodness what you hopefully there's a lot more ahead (laughs) hopefully (laughs) (laughs) that's wonderful it's wonderful thank you so much thank you yeah it's been absolutely (laughs) lovely talking to you Maya so so kind of you to come on and talk to us thank you so much so we'll We'll finish. I'll leave you. Uh, thanks, Tom, and thanks, Maya, uh, for joining us. And I'll leave you with the words of Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Solidarity. Solidarity.